Welcome to Fucking Cancelled, a podcast about what the left is like, what to do about it, and what it'll be like once we've done it. In today's episode, we discuss right-wing populism. What is it, and why should leftists care? Welcome back to Fucking Cancelled. Hey guys, how's it going? <laughs> um, so today's episode is a little bit different because Jay and I are somewhat on the opposite sides of the country. <laughs> somewhat, yeah. <laughs> And we're in different time zones, and we are currently doing this long distance. Yeah, this is our first ever long distance episode like this. Um, but it's cool. It's going to be fine. Yeah, it's absolutely fine. So, Jay, you've been hitchhiking. You've been on an adventure. You've been going across Canada. You've been out on the West Coast. What is up? What is going on? Um, yeah, I hitchhiked across Canada. I went from Montreal to Vancouver in four days, which I think is... That's probably crazy. Like a fucking record. Um, and it was awesome. One thing that I love about hitchhiking is that, like, you basically just, you're forced to, like, talk to the people who pick you up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, al- almost all of them want to talk, um, which is cool. Um, and they are just this, like, sort of totally random cross-section of, like, working people in Canada, you know? And it means that I get to just talk to lots of different people that I would ordinarily probably never talk to. Um, and I love that from like a sort of like anthropology perspective, it's like, it's this weird kind of like randomized field work for me where I sit there and I just like talk to people with their lives and then think about it. Um, and also since I'm obviously like a poli sci nerd, I also love to talk to people about what's going on in the world and what they think about it, you know, to get a kind of better idea of what sort of like average random working people think about what's going on in the world and yeah it was fascinating honestly i talked to a lot of different people with a lot of different opinions about stuff um yeah yeah we often talk about how we're like so chronically well we're making changes on this but we have been so chronically inside the nexus like everyone we know has sort of been inside the social justice world with some exceptions but you know we're very very in it So I can imagine that hitchhiking is like a really cool opportunity to talk to people who are just totally outside of your subcultural world and just get to shoot the shit with just random normal people. Oh yeah, dozens of people, right? All quite cool in in various ways. Like mostly the people who pick you up are people who used to hitchhike themselves Mm -hmm. or people who are just really interested in in people, you know, or they want to just like help somebody out. Um, And yeah, like absolutely like 0% of them are ever in the nexus you know what i mean <laughs> it's yeah, like like so cool yeah um so it's definitely like a really awesome way to get to know all sorts of different people mm-hmm. and so when you were telling me about this um experience you mentioned that you had a conversation with someone who might be described as a right-wing populist you want to tell me about that yeah definitely um And yeah, like, I think I'm going to write an article about this guy because it was so interesting to me. But basically, I got in a car 
with this guy who I'm just going to call Dave for the purposes of this uh, episode because it's more convenient if he has a name. Um, and Dave drove me from Espanola to Thunder Bay, which is like a thousand kilometers. Um, and he was, it was, it was super interesting. So this guy, he's like really nice, really kind, really friendly, um, really like going out of his way to be like helpful and sort of like to listen. And, and he's just like, you know, very much like a, a nice, good guy. Right. He also is an avid anti-vaxxer who is also wrapped up in sort of like all of the right-wing conspiracy theories that you've heard of, except for QAnon, which for some reason he thinks is really stupid, but everything else. Okay. Um, well, could you say more? Like what conspiracy theories are we talking here? Yeah. So I can definitely tell you what this guy believes. So he, he believes that a group that he calls the elite is basically in the final stages of a plan to sterilize most of the world's population um, through the use of the vaccines. Right. And he believes that this group might be led by a guy called Klaus Schwab, who is the founder and head of this like freaky finance think tank called the World Economic Forum. Okay, but I haven't um, heard of this. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's like this, this weird fucking, like, I think he's like German, he's like some banker okay. guy. I don't know, he's like some kind of like economics think tank dude. Okay. Um, who a lot of right-wing populists like think he's freaky. He is kind of freaky, but yeah, anyways. Um, the guy what? who, I see, I see. You're talking about the guy who... Um... Klaus Schwab, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, other figures are like Bill Gates and George Soros and uh, Justin Trudeau. So this is kind of like classic um, right-wing populist stuff. Um, so they're probably heavily implicated in this uh, this evil scheme as well. Um, for Dave, COVID is either a hoax or a bioweapon, but in either case, it's not a serious illness. Um, and the mRNA vaccines are designed to like modify human DNA in order to sterilize and or exterminate the population, um, possibly in a manner that can target specific individuals. Um, he also believes that masks are part of a PSYOP uh, meant to induce a sense of like constant emergency in the population. Um, the idea is that if you see things every day that like remind you that there's an emergency, that you get more and more sort of like compliant and willing to go along with things. Um, and the, like eventually they'll go along with uh, orders to like engage in atrocities such as murdering unvaccinated people. Um, he believes that the elite are communists. They're also fascists. Um, and they're also billionaires who control all the money. Um, and he thinks that their motivations are eugenic, um, but also kind of just like evil and like the pursuit of pure power. He believed in other conspiracy theories too. He thought that like, um, there was a means of creating energy out of like, just like water, just like burning water basically to create energy, but that, um, the elites have like hidden it because they don't want, uh, they don't want the fossil fuel industry to change. Interesting. Um, cause they control the fossil fuel industry. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that's basically the gist of it, but like all the theories kind of like meld together. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and yeah, like, because he's sort of like, he's in this like right wing populist, like silo, um, he's in dialogue or all the people in that silo, that kind of information silo are in dialogue with other right-wing populists. So a lot of their theories kind of like meld together or, or like touch on each other or sort of the, they're like, 
I'm just doing my research. I don't know if this is true, but like it could right. be. I, I hope it's not true. You know what I mean? But they all kind of like, yeah, they all kind of get mixed together a bit. Okay. So let's take a step back. Let's. For our listeners, would you please define populism? <laughs> Definitely. So populism is, it's like a mode of politics. You could think of it that way. A kind of like vibe. Um, and <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Yeah. It's kind of like a vibe. Populism is kind of a vibe um, whereby um, like populists populists think of themselves as being on the side of the people, thus the name populism, um, against the enemy of the people, which tends to be articulated as um, some sort of like elite or some sort of shadowy group of like evildoers. Um, and yeah. And so like populism can take many different forms. It has throughout history, right? Um, but generally it's sort of the idea that the people are good um, and then there's bad guys that they need to be kind of protected from or um, that the people have like, you know, all these like really awesome down to earth values and stuff. But then there's like, yeah, there's like these, these shadowy figures or um, a, an alien or enemy class that is trying to sort of keep them down in some way. Okay, and so then populism can basically be um, divided into right-wing populism and left-wing populism. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. so you can definitely divide it that way. And, and um, political scientists have identified like a lot of different characteristics of each, you know? And you could think about different versions of populism too, but that's like right-wing versus left-wing populism is kind of the most basic division between them. Mm -hmm. And so we could go into some like characteristics of right-wing populism, right? and um, compare and contrast them with left-wing populism. Right-wing populism tends to posit a, a like enemy elite uh, group um, that is sort of like part of the ruling class, but not the entirety of the ruling class, right? right? It's like a section of the ruling class that um, has evil intentions and has to be sort of like excised or like cut out. Um, it's like, this, this group kind of um, inhabits and corrupts the body politic, like kind of like a yerk in Animorphs, you know? Um, did you ever read Animorphs, Clementine? You know, I remember the book covers, but I don't know if I actually read them or not. So there's like alien slugs that crawl into your ear and wrap okay. themselves around your brain and then control you. Okay. Um, so it's kind of like that. Okay. So, <laughs> so they, they kind of like, they infect... Um, the system and then they make the system bad right um on the other hand left-wing populism um tends to see the enemy of the people as the ruling class itself right right it's like an entire class of people who um because of their position within the system um and actually their position with this within the system is because of the structure of the system itself um it's in their interest to sort of like oppress and exploit regular people, right? And so you can see right off the bat that there's a difference there because if you're a left-wing populist, like your goal would be to sort of like cut the top off the pyramid, so to speak, you know, it's like get rid of that entire like section of the structure so that it is impossible for there to be a ruling class, right? Um, whereas if you're a right-wing populist, the goal is to try to like, cut off like part of the top of the pyramid but otherwise leave the pyramid intact right right because the problem is not the system for right-wing populist 
The problem is that there are these like evil corrupting influences within the system. Okay. And so would socialism, like is socialism inherently left-wing populism? Like not like necessarily. Um, and you could even say that like populism itself can be kind of like, it can be like a bit um, dangerous in that it's like often a bit simplistic or like naive in certain ways, because it's like not necessarily true that just like the people like always know best or whatever. like, what is the people like, who are these people, whatever, you know what I mean? But that being said, yes, basically, usually socialism has like a very strong populist instinct, right? Where it's like, we, the entirety of the working class, whatever, are um, entitled to all that we produce. And, you know, the, the, the system that we live under should be set up in such a manner that it um, benefits and represents working class people as a, as a huge group, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a very populist impulse for sure. Um, and so you can say that like most varieties of socialism certainly intersect with left-wing populism, definitely, yeah. Okay, and so for right-wing populists, would it be that right-wing populists, they believe that it is possible to have their best interests served under capitalism. Perhaps they believe in a meritocracy and that if they work hard, that they can have their best interests served under capitalism. So it isn't capitalism itself that's the issue, but instead it is some sort of, um, like you're saying, some kind of force within capitalism that is sort of perverting it um, and therefore damaging the people. Yeah, so the main sort of like ideological thrust within right-wing populism when it comes to capitalism is that capitalism itself is a good system that produces lots of like wealth and prosperity for everyone but that if it's not guarded against these sort of like bad actors um, who are motivated by just like evil or like sometimes like occultism or Satanism or whatever, um, then, then it can, you know, it can be corrupted this way, right? Um, but yes, generally speaking, right-wing populism does not have much of a critique of capitalism itself, mm -hmm. um, but it has a very robust critique in some ways of, you know, these sort of these bad actors the elite whatever you want to call it um it's just that it's like yeah they don't have like people within right-wing populism people who are caught up in that like usually don't have access to alternate alternative explanations of what is going on um so it, it doesn't even sort of like really even like occur to them that that capitalism um would be the problem in the first place and i mean Okay, there's a couple of things I want to say and ask, but basically yeah. there's something interesting there for me because we see this in multiple places on the right where it's almost like this like wacky worldview, um, this wacky right-wing worldview has incorporated into itself language about leftism. And so it does these contradictory things where it's basically like you were saying, calling the the elites like fascists, communists, and something else, but and, oh, and bankers. And bankers, <laughs> right. Yeah. And then simultaneously like making critiques against them, which are, you know, like the fossil fuel industry, like you were talking about. So like making anti-capitalist critiques, but like wrapping it up in language that is like coding them as the left. Yeah, definitely. And like, okay, so there's, like, several levels to this. Like, one is, like, yeah, like, they, a lot of these people, like, when I read what they write, but also when I was talking to this guy, Dave, 
you know, they're like, the main problem is that it's greed. You know, like people are, these people are greedy and that's why they're, you know, they just, they don't care about other people. They're just greedy and that's why they're doing what they're doing. And it's like, okay, like that's, you know, kind of basically true in, in a lot of ways, but like, you know, capitalism as a system is basically just the institutionalization and, and like, you know, the worship of greed, basically. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's the idea that unbridled greed uh, will produce maximum prosperity, right? So it's not weird that the greediest and most sociopathic people rise to the top of that system, right? right. Um, but yeah, to, to take a step back for a second, um, one thing that's very interesting about how right-wing populism thinks about the left is that, I mean, they, the, the people who are caught up in it have like no idea what socialism is or communism, like at all, right? Um, for them, like communism and, so, and, and fascism are basically like synonyms. And it's just kind of like these like gray faced, like slaves, like cowering in a bread line, like, right. like under the guns of like the secret police, you know? Right. Um, and so the, that's basically the same. And, and they, it's just means totalitarian. Like that's, that's what they think that it means. Right. Okay. Um, and socialism for them, like the way that they think about it usually just means um, that it's like socialism is like a technique that elites use to basically take money away from like hardworking people and give it to like everyone else um, in order to produce a, a class of like dependent and therefore compliant people. Okay. That's, that's what they think socialism is. And that's why they think that Justin Trudeau or whatever is a socialist because they, they see the existence of like the most bare like type of welfare as socialism. Okay. So why is it that, because the conspiracy theories are quite wacky. Like they're often quite over the top, like the things that I've heard. It's very, like it sounds fake, you know? Um, And so what is, what in your opinion is going on there? Yeah, they're extremely fucking wacky. Like very, very fucking wacky. Um, I think that there's, there's a couple things going on, right? One is that, like I said, since these, these guys are trapped in the silo, like the, you know, it's like a, it's like an information silo. When I say silo, by the way, I mean like, um, you know, a space out of which information cannot travel basically. Um, and, and information can't get into either. So it's kind of like this like echo chamber, you know, mm-hmm. um, they're trapped in an information silo produced by social media algorithms and so on. Um, and also, you know, produced a bit by their own sort of like um, animosity towards what they see as socialism or whatever. And that means that they don't ever have access to alternate explanations, right? Um, and, and in, you know, since we're socialists, like I would say that the correct alternate explanation for all this is like a socialist one, right? Um, like a Marxist one in particular. Um, and so, okay, I'll just, I'll, I'll say that. I'll bookmark it because I want to come back to that. And then I'll say that the other thing at play here is that in popular culture, there is like a strong tendency towards seeing um, events as being uh, driven by villains and heroes, mm-hmm. you know, and often people's motivations in like movies and like books and stuff, the motivations of villains are like kind of fucking stupid. They just, they're just evil. Like they don't, you know, they just want to do bad in the world. Um, and this is like a very cartoonish way of thinking about the world. Most people are not like that. Um, but it is very deeply baked into the way that we think about stories, you know? Right. And so I think that like when people are looking around the world and they're like, this is all very fucked up, clearly they want to find ways to make sense of it. And obviously like the kinds of stories that, that make up their, their worldview subconsciously, 
um, are going to come to the fore and, and they're going to think about the world in, in those ways. Right. Mm -hmm. Now to come back to the absence of any sort of like Marxist critique um, within the right wing silo. I mean, it's, it's obvious, like they're, they're very like anti-Marxist. So why would they have access to a Marxist critique? But like, um, when I was talking to this guy, one of the things that was fascinating to me is that like, when I would explain things using my very basic sort of like, uh, socialist without adjectives kind of like way of thinking about things, he was almost all of the time. He was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Like I never thought about it that way, you know? Um, or at least he would, he would say like, uh, I hope you're right. That does make sense. I hope you're right, but I think I'm right. You know what I mean? Um, but like, for example, vaccines, right? The conspiracy theory that he believes is that vaccines are this sort of like weird bioweapon thing like um, that are used as a means to control the population either through like sterilization or like, he don't, I don't think he believes in like microchips, but you know, that's part of the same kind of like family of conspiracy theories, right? Now, I have a conspiracy theory about vaccines too. Um, but mine is a, a Marxist conspiracy theory, which is that the ruling class, you know, or like the state is captured by the ruling class. Um, that's like a basic tenet of socialism. The state is almost completely captured by the ruling class, um, has very little independence. It has very little fealty to working people. Right. Um, and what that means is that it is always going to act in the best interests of the ruling class, if at all possible. And it's in the interests of the ruling class who are made up of capitalists, right. For, you know, the Canadian state to, um, pour, billions and billions and billions of dollars into the pockets of private pharmaceutical corporations from North America, right? Mm -hmm. Or from Europe. Um, that's very much in, in their interest, not because they're trying to fucking murder everyone with these vaccines. I think the vaccines basically work, like maybe not very well, but they do work, right? Um, but it is a way for, you know, that class and their buddies to take public money and just pour it into their own pockets, right? Yeah. If you're a very, very wealthy capitalist, you have, you, you own lots of stocks, you know, and if, you know, big pharma companies do really well, then you do really well. Right. And, you know, or your buddies do really well and they're all part of the same class. They all know each other. Right. So like anything that sort of like pushes capitalism forward in, in a useful way for them um, is what they're going to do. It's very predictable. Right. And at the same time, things that would like alternate um, paths that they could take, um, for example, uh, nationalizing vaccine production and just having our own vaccine that we produce publicly and distribute for free and, mm -hmm. and send to foreign countries for free as well. Um, that used to be an option back when we had nationalized vaccine production facilities, but because we used to in Canada, but they were sold, they were privatized by Justin Trudeau's daddy. Um, and so we no longer have them. Right. Um, and that is also part of the same, you know, uh, state capture by the elites, right? So my conspiracy theory is just like that, like capitalists, like very obviously fucking control the state and use the state to enrich themselves. And the difference between my conspiracy theory and his conspiracy theory is that mine makes fucking sense, right? And and it's not even really a conspiracy because like they're very open about this. Like they, yeah. you know, the conspiracy is just called capitalism. It's that yeah. capitalists control everything, and of course they do because we live under a system called fucking capitalism, right? Um, and so. I believe that, you know, my theory about this has a lot more explanatory power than his um, because the motives of capitalists make sense in, 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 a, in a Marxist framework. Like their motives are to pursue their own interests within a system from which they're benefiting. Yeah. Like it's not rocket science. Um, most people in their position would do exactly what they're doing, which is why they're very predictable, right? 
Um, and you can, you can definitely say that those people at the top or whatever are, uh, you know, they tend to be, you know, they have very low empathy for others. Like they, they dehumanize others. They think they're better than everyone. That's probably true for, for many, if not most of them. But also it's true that I think like for many, if not most of us, if we were put in those positions of just like insane power and privilege, we would probably act in a similar way. Right. So the issue is not the individual people necessarily, right? The issue is a structure that enables them to exercise such um, unchecked power over the rest of us. Right. Um, and so I think that, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And if you can explain that to people, most people are like, yeah, like that, that basically does make sense. You know, like, you know, I, I get that including Dave. Right. And I explained this to him and he's like, well, I hope you're right. And not me, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, whereas his conspiracy theory is sort of like, it relies on the idea that there's this group, not only are they like extraordinarily powerful, um, but they're like worldwide because they've managed to pull this off in like every major country, right? Um, they have such such um, perfect power and control that they are able to sort of like, you know, get like millions of doctors, for example, all over the world to like go along with them. Um, and they're able to like get this conspiracy so um, so covered up that like, you know, they've managed to dupe like everyone in the world as they carry out like the, the, the most like insane atrocity of all time. Right. Um, and their motivation for this is like crickets. Like what, why would anyone want to like murder everyone in the world or whatever it is? Right. Like there's no like useful purpose for that. Right. And it's also very obvious that everyone in the world is not being murdered by the vaccines. Like, I mean, yes, I guess they would say that we're going to see like down the line or whatever, but yeah. Right. So, yeah, I think, you know, that the idea that there could be corporations making a profit off the sale of a vaccine during a global pandemic that had, you know, really high death rates. Um, and that resulted in huge disruptions of people's lives globally. Yeah. You know, and in which people really fucking needed and wanted a vaccine. Yeah. The idea that anyone would be allowed to profit off of that is so bonkers insane to me, you know? Yeah. Um, that that could ever have been considered allowed. That, like, obviously, if there is the if you we have a motivation globally to develop a vaccine the motivation to develop the vaccine is that we need a vaccine and so everybody should be working on it who can be right mm-hmm. and you know how capitalists are always like we need profit to like motivate people otherwise they won't do it which i personally think is bullshit in general but in this case you're going to tell me that there's no motivation without profit to develop a vaccine during a global pandemic yeah, it's, it's obviously not. a very strong motive to develop it. Yeah. There's huge motivation to do it and everybody should be pouring their resources and their time and their energy into developing it. And then that vaccine, which is literally not only like a like a life-saving vaccine that will like diminish the symptoms in people who are very likely to die of the virus, but also that like widespread use of the vaccine could potentially like curb the the spread of the virus and and you know the the massive invasive changes that have happened in people's lives due to the pandemic it's like the idea that that would cost money and that these corporations would withhold um the vaccine unless they were given payment 
is absolutely bonkers and insane. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and like, you know, the, the crazy thing is that like in many ways, reality is like scarier than like that than, is more scary than their wacky conspiracy theory. Cause at least in their version of, of world events, like obviously their like shadowy elites are like very fucking powerful and, and, and very evil, but like you could just shoot them all. Like basically you could just shoot them all and, and things would be fine, you know? So there's like this kind of like, uh, there's like this easy way out, you know? Um, maybe not easy, easy, but like relatively simple. Whereas the reality is very fucking complicated. It will take, you know, um, huge, huge systemic reforms and, and or like revolutionary change of some sort in order to like absolutely change from top to bottom how the entire like world economy is structured, right? Which is a lot more difficult to do. A lot more difficult to do. However, it has the benefit, at least like, you know, our worldview has the benefit of making some fucking sense. Um, and it is relatively easy to explain to people, right? Um, and I think that's something that, that we're, something that is um, demonstrated by the existence of right-wing populism, particularly the form it's taking recently, which is like very like anti-globalization and in some ways very anti-capitalist, just like kind of mixed in with this weird kind of pro-capitalism at the same time, you know? Um, one thing that's interesting in that is that it it demonstrates very clearly that there is like a enormous resentment against the ultra wealthy, mm-hmm. enormous, and it's like completely widespread and popular. Like nobody fucking likes these people. Um, the exceptions are that some people will have their sort of like favorite billionaire that they like are really into, you know, like they're fucking like Pokemon or something. Um, but you know, people are like into like Elon Musk or whatever, um, and other people are like, I-, I hate Elon Musk, but it's like that is sort of like a symptom of the fact that like very few people have this sort of like systemic analysis where uh, the individuals don't really matter so much. You know, it's, it's about like the, the whole overall system that's propping them up. Can you tell me, cause we were talking about this before we started recording the episode. Can you tell me the Jurassic park story? Oh yeah. Okay. So this is, I was watching, um, I watched the new Jurassic park. It's called like Jurassic world or whatever, I think. Um, and I was just reflecting on all this because I had been thinking about this because I was thinking about writing an article. And so I watched this movie. And in this movie, there's a like a mega corporation. And it's called Biosyn, which is like really not subtle. Um, and Biosyn has like created this like crazy like dinosaur breeding program. Um, and they have like all these dinosaurs in this like super high-tech like valley in the Alps that they've managed so that they like wall off this giant valley and just have dinosaurs in it, right? So it's Jurassic Park, but in like Italy. Um, and, but one of the things that they are doing is they create like this giant locust, um, that's like, has like Cretaceous DNA in it or whatever, like dinosaur DNA. Um, and then they release it into the world and like, it eats all the crops except for crops that are like biosyn crops. And, and so, but obviously this goes like terribly wrong and they're like, you know, reproducing like crazy and they're giant. They're like, they're like the size of like a fucking Subway sandwich or whatever. Um, and so it's very bad. And, and like in the movie, they're like, oh, this is going to cause like a, a world, like ecological disaster collapse. That's going to kill like everyone and destroy human civilization. Right. And then basically as the movie progresses, you understand that, um, the CEO figure of Biosyn, who is this kind of like Steve Jobs slash Bill Gates looking kind of guy, you know, he's got like short white hair and like these like little glasses and and he like wears like a sweater vest and he's sort of like kind of distracted and like polite you know um 
it turns out that he is just really evil. And he even gives sort of like a speech about how evil he is, right? He's sort of like, we don't stop just because some people are complaining. Like we always follow through no matter what, right? And it's like, he knows that the no matter what is the possible extinction of all life on the planet, but he just like follows through anyway. However, what happens is that his sort of like second in command guy um, is like, actually, I think that it's wrong to destroy all human life and <laughs> and like sort of like helps the, the good guys or whatever, like stop um, the CEO of Biosyn. And then like Biosyn continues to exist as an entity. And the moral of the story is that it's not the problem is not that there's a mega corporation so powerful that it could extinct that it could make life on earth extinct the problem is that there was a bad guy <laughs> running it <laughs> right. right and so for me i was like this is actually like a perfect encapsulation of like how right-wing populism thinks about the world right it's it's that like the problem is not the, these insane structures that give like unlimited power and opportunity to like like random individuals <laughs> essentially um and the most greedy and, and and sociopathic of individuals at that the problem is just that those particular individuals aren't stopped frequently enough, I guess, by like good guys who are sort of like, you know, this plucky band of people with strong moral values. Yeah, it's a really interesting fantasy. And I think that it's it's interesting that there are movies like this and that this is actually like a really like it's a relatively common trope, actually. Mm -hmm. um, this idea that there are these these capitalist, um, you know, corporations but the problem is not that they have all of this power. The problem is just how that power is being used. And then if you have like a good guy running the show, then that power will be, you know, I guess used in a responsible way. Um, when you told me this uh, Jurassic Park story and used it as an example uh, to illustrate the, the worldview of right-wing populace, the other thing that came to mind for me listening to that is that there's a strong parallel to be made to the way that people think inside the nexus. Um, and so obviously most people listening to this know what we mean by the nexus, but you could also use the term social justice culture, um, or, uh, neoliberal identitarianism, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. But basically inside the nexus, there's a similar thing that goes on, um, around identitarianism where people think that if the ruling class were more diverse, you know, um, if, it, if, if people were put into positions of extreme power, but they hold certain identity categories, then it will be okay. You know, like the problem is not capitalism itself or these like very huge, um, wealth discrepancies, but that the ruling class is not diverse enough or that the people who are, you know, like running the ruling class are, are members of identity categories who for some essential reason are just like evil or like yeah. not, not, um, not having their hearts in the right place. And so it's interesting to me that both of these, these forms of thinking kind of skip around actually looking at capitalism as a system that is based on exploiting both people and the earth for profit and actually can't function without doing that because it's baked into what the system actually is. And that it doesn't actually matter who you put in charge of such a system because the system is inherently designed to extract profit through exploitation. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's one of the basic like tenets of identitarian essentialism that like, 
um, you know, like if let's say like if there was like more women um, running corporations, then like capitalism would be better. Right. But it kind of, yeah, like you said, it skips around the fact that like the, the kinds of women who rise to the top in corporations, right, are the kinds of women who are going to behave uh, just like the men who were also rising to the top in those corporations. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing essential about women that make them, you know, less likely to pursue uh, the profit motive uh, no matter what, when they're, you know, a highly driven uh, corporate climber in a Forbes 500 corporation, right? Yeah. And like, I think ultimately, like, you know, if you really break it down, like the basis of what capitalism is, is it's, it's not giving workers the full access to the fruits of their labor. Like, it is extracting that profit, right? So what it literally means, like it is inherently exploitative because what it means is that the people who run the show take as much as they can from the workers and just give the workers a little bit. Like that's literally what capitalism is. So like there is no way to do that in a nice way. (laughs) Yeah. Like it just can't be done in a nice way because at the end of the day, you, you literally are stealing from workers like the fruits of their labor. Like if you weren't stealing from workers, the fruits of their labor, then you would have like a co-op. You would have a situation in which workers had control over what was happening with their labor and were benefiting from it equally. Not, you would not have a situation, which is what capitalism is, in which there's people at the top who who are profiting more and getting more than the workers themselves are getting from the workers' labor. And so it doesn't matter you know, using the nexus framework, if the person at the top who's doing that is a woman or is a person of color or is trans, at the end of the day, they're literally doing that because that's what capitalism is. Um, And then, you know, in the right-wing populist fantasy world, like, I guess they think that certain evil guys do that in a really bad way. Basically. And And then others, you know, there's more chance... I think it's the meritocracy like fantasy that there's more chance that if you work hard, you know, you'll have your needs met at the end of the day. Um, And so what I think is interesting here is that like both of these systems, despite being quite different from each other on the surface, they actually both function quite well to keep people distracted from a critique of capitalism. Absolutely. And so in that, in that way, they both function very well in service of capitalism because they keep people kind of looking in the wrong place for what the problem is. Exactly. And this was actually something that I totally, I brought up to Dave, you know, because he has this strong sense that there's like a divide and conquer going on. You know what I mean? That the elites are trying to like, really like put like pit people against each other so that they can't figure out that the, what the elites are doing is wrong. And he's like, there's all this like misinformation out there, you know, that like people, you know, you know, they believe all kinds of things that they read, you know, but they don't, they don't know the truth. Right. And I was basically sort of like, what if, (laughs) hear me out, like, what if the things that you are being told are also part of that? What if you are part of the divide and conquer to stop people from having an analysis of the system that props up these people that you call the elite? And he was sort of like, like, wow, like, I don't know, man, that would be crazy, (laughs) you know? Um, And I was like, yeah, it would be crazy, wouldn't it? Um, But yeah, it's like, 
you know, one of the things that was so interesting about talking to Dave, right, is that I, I ran all these like social democratic policies by him or even like fully like socialist policies. And he was like basically kind of down for a lot of them, you know, at least he was like interested, right? I was talking about like, you know, because um, he's really into the market, right? He's like, a, he's, he's on the right, he's into the market. And I'm like, yeah, like actually like the market, you know, we don't have to like completely abolish the market as a mechanism of moving goods and services around. Like it's served a purpose in human history for thousands of years. You know, it, it, it clearly like has, you know, some utility, right? And I was sort of like, you know, what about co-ops, right? Like you could have enterprises, right? Like businesses that produce goods and services for people and, and they could even, you know, be in competition in a certain way, right? Um, but you could do that without a class of people whose only job it is to fucking own things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, you know, you're like a working guy, right? Like when the fuck did you, you ever had a boss that knew what the fuck he was doing? And he was like, yeah, like never. And I was like, yeah, of course. And, and so, you know, I was like, what if, you know, for example, the government, could uh buy out businesses and turn them into worker co-ops right like that's one model that's been proposed in 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 various places and you're sort of like oh like that that would actually be like a really cool idea you know like what if workers just kind of like ran things and and i was like yeah that would be a cool idea wouldn't it or you know i was talking about um another proposition that i heard recently was you know you could have um a law that mandates that corporations like large corporations would have to have 50 percent plus one of their board seats um reserved for members of the workforce like elected members of their union right um and that way workers from that corporation would have like the controlling voice over what happens to the corporation and what happens to them right and like that's also like a a, a model in which you could sort of like blend elements of a market with with very strong uh, protection for workers um and worker control over the means of production in a certain sense right and he was like that's a really interesting idea too and i'm like yeah and and you know all by himself he told me, he was like, you know, I think that they should have like a maximum like cap on wealth. Like, I don't think that you should have more than like a certain amount, you know? And I was like, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, yeah. And I was like, that is like a position that is like so, I mean, it's so commonsensical, if I can just make up a word. Um, but it's also so radical that like you would never hear like any mainstream politician proposing it. But I'm like, that's what socialists want. Like, yeah. socialists want it to be impossible to be a fucking billionaire, you know? Yeah. Like, legally impossible. It should not be, you should not be able to actually accumulate that much money or have anywhere to keep it, right? Yeah. Um, and and I was like, you know, Justin Trudeau or whatever, who you think is a socialist, like, would absolutely rather, like, cut his own fucking head off than, like, allow that to happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know? And it was just, like, super interesting to me where I was like, you know, basically, like, the existence of right-wing populism and then its subsequent like um, sp- spread and mainstreaming and the fact that it's fucking everywhere right now is in large part due to like a massive failing on the part of socialists to get through to ordinary fucking working people, right? Because this guy had never heard of any of the shit. He had no fucking idea that people yeah. thought this. You know, he, he literally had no idea that, that people thought this. He had never heard of any of my positions, even though he thinks that, you know, everything is socialist and the world is run by socialists. He's never heard any socialist positions before. Right. He's never heard these like, um, you know, the idea that like the ruling class would be like using uh, public money to pay for COVID vaccines um, made privately so that someone can make a profit. You know, like he had never really heard that articulated that way. Like the only critique that he's heard of the COVID vaccine whole fucking situation is that like Bill Gates is trying to fucking murder people with it. Right. 
Um, and then the other explanation that he's heard is like, you know, shut up. It's good for you. Take your fucking vaccine. Like, uh, if you don't agree with this, you're a eugenicist and a Nazi, right? Which, and he's like, well, I'm not a Nazi. So clearly that's wrong. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and like, yeah, I don't know. One other thing that's kind of a tangent that I found super interesting talking to him is that, um, he repeatedly used the word, uh, the words Nazi and eugenicist to refer to his opponents. Right. Right. And, and on, on the like liberal leftish, you know, side of things, like that is also something that was constantly used to talk about the, the so-called like freedom convoy, um, and the anti-vaxxers, right. That they're Nazis and they're eugenicists. And I'm just like, it's very interesting that both sides think that the other are Nazis and eugenicists. Um, when like, I mean, realistically, like neither of them are like, you know, Mm -hmm. people who like are scared of vaccines or whatever, like they they don't just think that disabled people should all fucking get put in camps. Like that's not what they believe. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and also most of them, especially in Canada, I should say, are not overt racists, like at all. Right. And this guy is not a racist, you know, and he had some very, for, for a kind of like unsophisticated, politically speaking kind of guy, like he had some pretty sophisticated analysis of, of the situation of indigenous Canadians that he seemed to care a lot about, you know? Um, and he had been in part of his like freedom convo, uh, freedom convoy, um, um, uh, shenanigans he had been hooked up with this group of indigenous canadians who had also like gone to ottawa um and who were very concerned um apparently sincerely you know about the idea of the government of the government of canada you know forcing indigenous people to do anything with their fucking bodies right obviously there's like a bad track record of that kind of shit you know um and so and that was his sort of like um contact with with politicized indigenous people he was like they're on our side right. <laughs> you know um yeah so Anyways, I thought that was really interesting. And basically it just shows that like the term like Nazi is like very, um, you know, very commonly thrown around to just describe like, you know, political opponents that we don't like. Um, Mm. And eugenicism or eugenics is just, is kind of like commonly seen as sort of like one of the most evil things that you could do, right? So people just like use it a lot to sort of describe people they don't like. Yeah, so there's a couple of things I want to pull out. I guess the first thing that I want to pull out is like there is a lot going on that is really bad, you know? Yes. And I think that people know this, you know, like people see how bad it is and they see like there's many, many things that are like existential threats, like we have climate change looming, you know, we also have people, you know, just living in really, really bad conditions, even in Canada, where we're supposed to have healthcare, like healthcare has been an absolute mess, more and more things are getting privatized. Um, people can't fucking afford anything, you know, um, gas prices have doubled. Um, yeah, yeah, like it's, it's really bleak and people are struggling and people are really in a bad place and they don't have security. And like, you know, the, the things that like our parents' generation sort of took for granted are like unimaginable to millennials. Um, and shit is just getting worse and worse and worse. So there's like a lot of things that are really not great. And people want to understand that. They want to know what's going on and they want to know how to change it and how to fix it. And so they're always looking for something to make sense out of it. Right. Yeah. And so I really see that, like, I see that in 
the stuff that we talk about a lot on this podcast with the nexus, like people trying to figure out like who's to blame, like, you know, who can we fight to fix this? Um, right. And very often in the nexus, you know, people decide, well, we're going to fight each other. Like we're going to fight this random guy, you know? Um, yeah. And very often because one, they don't have access to a true like leftist socialist, like understanding of what is going on because we don't actually hear that much about that these days, yeah. even, even on the left. Yeah. Um, and also because the actual people with power are so fucking far out of reach for us, um, totally. especially as alienated individuals who don't have collective power because we don't have solidarity and we don't have strong political movements, that it just feels easier to um, to focus on things that we feel like we can control. So I feel like that's kind of what's going on in the nexus. And then with this, these, uh, these right-wing populist guys, it's like, you know, I think that it's, at least for me, like the bits that I've heard about it, it all sounds very like, um, like sensationalist, you know, and it sounds like a struggle between good and evil. And there's like these evil foes that like, that are like hiding in the background that we can like find out who they are and like, we can get them and then we can restore things to balance, you know? Yeah. Um, and even though that is like, it's like, in my opinion, it sounds like a retreat into fantasy, it's still like, in some ways, it feels more realistic than the actual job that is ahead of us, which is dismantling capitalism, you know? Um, because that's a big, that's a big task. And I think that people don't know, first of all, a lot of the time they don't even understand what is going on and what capitalism is and how it's functioning. And mm -hmm. secondly, they don't know how to fix it. Like they have no idea how to fix it. So it's easier to just focus on other things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, yeah, like what you're saying is like absolutely true. Like people look around and they see that things are super fucked up. Right now, gas prices is a really good example of this because almost everybody I talked to talked about COVID and gas. Like those were the two things, right? We we're driving across the country right after pandemic. Um, and, you know, I, I also was hitchhiking around like Vancouver Island and, and NBC. So it wasn't just like across uh, Western Canada either, but everyone wants to talk about gas, right? And um, fucking like half the people who fucking drove me were pretty much just convinced and thought it was like very obvious that the government was making it so that gas prices were really high basically just like to fuck with us like like you know what i mean and and there was no sort of like follow-up of like kind of like why that would be use a useful thing for the government to want to do to canadians you know and i was kind of like trying to point out to people i was like i mean like yeah like definitely definitely like you know some someone benefits from gas prices being high for sure but also traditionally uh governments that preside over a really high increase in the price of food or gas like get fucking booted out of power like in the next election like immediately because everyone hates that you know so it's like like you know there's not really like a good reason for the government to want to do it right. i was just like i was it was like interesting to me that like hatred for the government is just like so absolutely right. like like across the board like everyone's just like first of all fuck those people second of all like they're actively trying to fuck with us and like third of all fuck those people again you know um like everyone's a crook like i hate all of them right mm -hmm. very few people are like i really you know, admire like the right. liberal party of Canada, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and at the same time, like people, you know, their, their understanding of capitalism is basically that capitalism is fine, but there's bad guys. And like, if only the bad guys would stop being bad, then maybe gas prices would go down or right. something. You know what I yeah. mean? 
And and I'm like, the people who are benefiting the most from gas prices being high right now are are oil and gas corporations, right? Yeah. Like, not like, you know, yeah. Anyways, yeah, it's interesting. So like, I guess for me, like, what I find interesting about all of this is that, you know, in the nexus or on the left generally, but you know, the nexus is sort of dominating what we consider to be the left. When we hear, not only when we hear about these right-wing populist guys, these conspiracy theory, theorist types, like, yeah. like when we hear about them, they're completely dehumanized and turned into a caricature, right? The idea, even the idea of us talking about these people, I mean, if we weren't already fucking canceled, it's definitely cancelable that we're even taking the time to discuss these people oh, and yeah. what, they, what they think, right? Those people are turned into a scapegoat, right? They're turned into a scapegoat that they're the problem. Like they're, they're what's blocking the left from progressing or from making any gains, right? Which is yeah. actually a joke because to be honest, the left is the reason that we're not fucking progressing because we don't have any fucking organization skills at all. Um, <laughs> but like these people are turned into a scapegoat. They're turned into the evil bad guys. And then not only that, but there's this weird dynamic that is going on where it's like the nexus and like people more to the left have become conspiracy theorists about conspiracy theorists. Right. Can we, can we unpack this for a second? Because basically now it's like everything's a dog whistle. Like people are constantly right. concerned that right. someone is secretly queuing on, you know? Yeah. Like people are yeah. so concerned that, that like there's like some right-wing populist element that is leaking in to something else, right? And like we have experienced this from people accusing us of being in QAnon or in, I don't even know if the Nexium sex trafficking cult thing is considered to be related to this or not, but it's like conspiracy <laughs> theories, like really crazy out there shit, right? Yeah. Um, and people are always worried that like, that anything might be a sign of that. Right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so what that says to me because to me, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a parallel between those two things. Like, and you, I think you were the one who pointed it out that like the person who was making up the conspiracy theory that we were in QAnon was basically making up a conspiracy theory that was very similar to the conspiracy theory of QAnon. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so it's very bizarre. And, and what this says to me is that there's a lot of suspicion and paranoia that is going on. Like yeah. across the board, people are feeling very suspicious, very paranoid, and they also don't have a lot of good information to work with. And I think that this comes from like a few different places. Like one is that we, we feel suspicious and paranoid because we are living in like horrifying dystopian nightmare times, right? Like with like climate change and, and how bad things are in general. And then like the pandemic as well, I think really turned the volume up on that. Um, and then we have like no access to good information because our like our like mainstream media is like bought and sold, first of all. Yeah, like for isn't sure. it true that like the Washington Post like belongs to like some billionaire guy? Jeff Bezos, yeah. Okay, so like Mr. Bezos owns the Washington Post. That's terrifying. And like anyone who looks at that is like obviously I can't actually get my news from there, right? Because yeah. it's not real, it's not news. Um, and we know that like actual like independent journalism has been like eroded, right? 
And then even worse, most people aren't even getting their news from that anymore. You know, like either they're watching like corporate media or they're using social media where people are just saying literally whatever they want and there's no fact checks whatsoever. And there's no way to tell like what is true and what is not true. And then they're in these um, algorithms, which are like you said, creating an information silo where they're basically bouncing off each other and they're being given, you know, repetitive information that it seems like it's true because so many people around them are saying it. Um, And so like the combination of like knowing that the people around you are probably believing things that aren't true, knowing that something very serious is going on, but you're not sure what. Yeah. Leads to conditions in which people are very conspiratorial and like imagining a whole bunch of stuff. Right. I'll also add that I think that, um, on a certain level, both people in like the Nexus and people in, you know, this kind of like Maganon kind of right wing conspiracy like world um, understand, like at least like on a subconscious level, I think that their ideas are shallow and don't make that much sense um, and and are very susceptible to being ripped apart by like anybody who takes the time to do so, <laughs> you know, and they're very afraid of that, you know? And I think that like true believers really like to stop the possibility of anyone speaking back to them, especially if they're very worried that their ideas don't make any fucking sense on some level, you know? And so in the case of the Nexus, what they do is they like really like maintain the integrity of the silo. Cancel culture is one of the ways that they do that as we discussed at length, right? Um, They don't want any information about alternate like political perspectives coming in certainly not right-wing populism but they also don't want like marxist perspectives coming in because they threaten their identitarian like logic right um and you know it's it's a very convenient method a very convenient method of doing that is to dehumanize the people who espouse those beliefs right right and so what that means for the nexus is that a lot of people in the nexus actually have no idea what right-wingers think which makes it very difficult for us to ever engage with people on the right, you know, because we're like, we say like what we think they believe and they're like, well, that's not even what I think. So like, you clearly don't know what you're talking about. Right. And then the flip side of that is that right-wing populists also hugely dehumanize leftists all the time. Like they literally think that leftists are like Satanists, like in league with fucking like, like Bill Gates and like, you know, the Antifa is like paid by George Soros and it's all psyops from top to bottom and you know, whatever, like they, they believe like absolutely insane things about leftists. Um, and you know, that in a certain way can be to our advantage because they're even more wacky about it than, than the Nexus is. Right. And like, when I like told Dave that I am a socialist, he just like sat there for like 15 seconds, like in silence, (laughs) you know, sort of being like, uh, uh, you know, and then he's like, I think we might be using that word like differently, you know? And I'm like, yeah, man, you know? Um, but like it really like popped his it popped his bubble like in a big way to just like sit in right. a car with a self described socialist who didn't believe any of the things that he thought socialism right. was you know yes um, that that really like fucking like gets right in there and and like it's like a really good way to get people to start like totally questioning everything <laughs> that they've been told about what the left is supposed to be you know yeah. Um, and. Yeah, but I think, yeah, like a huge part of this uh, really intense sort of like dehumanization of, of political opponents, like often is really because like people are, are insecure about their ideas, right? Well, it's interesting. I think in a way, and we've talked about this in the in relation to the nexus, but I actually think that it could also apply to what we're talking about with right-wing populism is that I think I get what you're saying about people's ideas being shallow. 
um, or not that well thought out, or they know on some level that it doesn't hold up. But I think that those, um, those beliefs, they are fulfilling an emotional role for people. Yeah. And, it's, and it's like what we've talked about before, where we talk about how the nexus functions more like a religion than a politics. Yeah. And I imagine that a similar thing goes on with right-wing populists. Absolutely. It's like people are so, um, they're so attached to these beliefs because these beliefs are doing something for them emotionally. And part of what they're doing is like, they're offering, and it's similar, yeah, it's what religion does. Like it offers a story that helps you to make sense out of something that is so profoundly emotionally distressing and overwhelming right um you know so like religion helps people grapple with like the big questions of like life and death and meaning and all of this right and like i think that these systems they help us fucking figure out how to feel in late stage capitalism as the world is ending as we are grappling with like profound profound existential dread um and overwhelm these stories, they give simple instructions for how to deal with those feelings, who to blame, what to do. Um, and so it, it makes people feel better. And yep. so I think that when you question those beliefs or you poke at them or you point out that they don't really make a lot of sense, people, they're not interested in having a logical discussion about it often because it's too emotional, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's, you're, you're hitting at something emotional. And so I think as socialists, like a big important thing for us is that like we kind of have to get underneath the beliefs to the heart of what those beliefs are actually doing for people and try to meet those needs instead you know and actually offer people something else to meet those needs that actually isn't a distraction from the problem you know isn't just numbing them out or um, making them feel like they're doing something but that is actually offering people a way to to really deal with or to really address the very serious things that we are facing. Um, And we have to do that in such a way that does have emotional literacy that is not just about logic and facts, but that is actually able to hold, I almost said hold space, that is actually able (laughs) to, (laughs) to really meet people in their grief and their existential dread and, and to like emotionally meet people there you know, and spiritually meet people there Um, because people need something to help them cope uh, with how fucking intense everything is. Absolutely. I also think, okay, I have two things to say about this. Like um, one is that I think a a big part of what these forms of politics that we've been talking about, what what they fulfill for people or like a function that they serve, you know, is that um, people have this mismatch between their, their deeply held ideals about the world, what the world should look like, right? versus what the world actually is like, right? And that, that mismatch creates a tension that they then try to resolve through these stories, right? Uh, and that's true for the nexus and for right-wing populism and also for kind of anybody who's interested in, in the world in a political way. Um, and one thing that like we can, we can do is we can look at what those underlying ideals actually are mm. for people. And for m- most people, I think that they're actually quite similar. Like, a lot of people have a really like similar idea of what what it would mean to have a good life and sort of like what it means to be like a like a moral actor in the world, right? And like if we can like really like get to people and be like those beliefs, those ideals that you hold are good. Like th- those are like good things that I also agree with, right? I am not against freedom. Mm-hmm. You know? Like I'm not against uh you know like 
an orderly system that takes care of people or whatever it is, right? Like, you know, I'm not against like equality of opportunity. Like these are like good things that like people in North America hold very dear, almost universally, right? Um, so I think that that's one, one way that we can kind of get underneath both people in the nexus and people in the right-wing populism world, like we can kind of get underneath the surface level of their politics and get to something deeper and be like, um, these are good ideals. How do we, how do we like manifest them in the world in a more realistic way? Basically, I think is like one thing we could do. The next thing I wanted to get at was that like something that these politics fulfill for people, um, you know, you were mentioning this like spiritual element, right? Um, and I think that it, they also fulfill uh, a, a community function. And, absolutely. you know, obviously we've talked about this a lot with the Nexus, but this is absolutely true with the right as well. Absolutely. A hundred percent, you know, and um, in some ways, maybe even more, you know, and like this guy, like he was such an interesting character because he said that basically he was not political at all, political at all for like almost his entire life. He never paid attention to it. Then he like, I think he like broke his leg or something and he was in the hospital for like months and he just started like reading about like COVID because it was happening. And he basically got like sucked into this like COVID like conspiracy theory route. And because he's not a particularly like sophisticated guy, politically speaking before that, he like just was sort of like, oh, this is all interesting. And basically it's all, all the information I'm getting is like equally, like could equally possibly be true. You know what I mean? So it's like the news versus like this, like Facebook video that I am listening to. It's like, you know, either of them can be true. Who knows? Right. Cause he's open-minded. Right. Mm -hmm. So he went down that rabbit hole. And then what happened is that he started to like meet more and more people who he got along with because they shared certain sort of like uh, character traits and sort of beliefs about what the world can and should look like, whatever. Um, and then when he went to Ottawa in the Freedom Convoy, um, he he was like, he was like, just really like, almost like tearfully telling me about the unity that he experienced there. He kept using the word unity and he was like, you know, they're trying to divide us as much as they can. But when I was there, all I saw was unity. Like everyone was just getting along. We were helping each other out. You know, he was describing solidarity, <laughs> you know, yes. he, he's like, you know, like we were having these barbecues and like everyone was feeding everyone. And like, if you needed anything, someone would just give it to you, you know? And like, he was really like, like touched by that. Like he was like shook by that, you know? And, and it was like, it clearly made an enormous impact on him and it cemented his like his belief that this was like a really important and powerful thing he was like all we wanted was like freedom and like unity and we were met with like the like basically the full like violent response of the state right um and he was like really like really upset by that where he was just like i thought that the cops were supposed to like protect people but like it turns out that they're actually in the pay of george soros or whatever um but you know yeah like that sense of unity and community for him were like extremely important and it's clear to me that um that's that's the case like for very many uh political movements and you know one thing that we often point out is that like the nexus has this way of creating community but it's like through this mechanism of like kind of like othering and dehumanizing other people right and using them as scapegoats right-wing populism definitely also does that right it has this like nasty sort of like xenophobic or like you know whatever kind of like tinges to it right um because it's in dialogue with with the rest of the right and the right tends to be more interested in sort of like trying to dehumanize various elements of the population that's not to say that everyone involved is like some kind of like racist or homophobe or whatever especially in canada i think people are very much more likely to be like i'm not a racist i'm not a homophobe whatever um but they're definitely in dialogue with that kind of thing so it, it leaks through on the edges and you know definitely like this guy 
in particular he was like pretty cool about most of that kind of stuff but definitely was very like transphobic like he had like no kind of like ability to deal with that <laughs> you know um but it's sort of like that's something that can be worked on right like especially we've talked about this before on the pod i think how like especially for people who are super into like freedom you can just be like it's anyone has the freedom to like dress however the fuck they want and like most people would be like yeah fine whatever fine you know yeah anyways um can i I go on a little tangent please tangent away okay so i want to just pull some thoughts together so this is like yeah it is a tangent but i think it's really important and related to like what we're talking about very often in like my discussion of cancel culture and what cancel culture is and what it does, I use the framework of dehumanization. And we've talked about dehumanization a bunch in this um, in this episode. And I just want to talk a little bit about what it is and also its relationship to the concept of scapegoating and then how that plays out in the nexus and how it also plays out on the right. So basically, dehumanization, like human beings as social mammals who evolved in groups, we have biological we have a biological capacity to feel empathy which literally is like in our bodies in things like mirror neurons in our brains and like the facial the muscles in our face and the way that we are like very minutely able to pick up on other human beings emotional states and this is like you know an imperative of evolution that we as social mammals like have empathy for each other and can imagine each other's emotional states right right but then we also have the ability to like suppress our empathy and turn it off and why that is i don't know if that has been like fully um sort of demonstrated but you can imagine various reasons why there might be an evolutionary advantage to turning off empathy sometimes for our own species and i believe that human beings are very capable of doing this we are naturally empathetic but we also have the capacity to turn it off yeah i think that's accurate and so Dehumanization is the process through which we turn off empathy for other human beings, usually like sometimes specific human beings and also groups of human beings based on various traits, right? And so dehumanization, like racism is a form of dehumanization. It is a way to be like, those people are not people like me. And to imagine that some other person or some other group of people are not the full complex human that you are. Um, And then by doing that, that's how we justify violence towards people or doing things to them that we would never want done to ourselves. So dehumanization. And then basically scapegoating is the process of dehumanizing someone and then using that process of dehumanizing them as a way to like feel better about some other larger situation of powerlessness, right? So instead of dealing with whatever really is going on, we punish the scapegoat and then we like ritualistically feel like we have done something about what is really bothering us. Right. right. And so we talk about scapegoating in cancel culture all the time. Right. If I call this person an abuser and I punish this person and I take away their job and I drive them out of community, then I can feel like I've actually done something about, you know, abuse at large. Right. Or if I can, you know, like, on an identitarian basis, say like you're extremely privileged and therefore you need to like Venmo money to people who have less privilege than you, but really that person is just a regular person. Um, I can feel like I'm doing something about the great power imbalances of capitalism, right? Yeah. But I'm not. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in both of these cases, like I'm scapegoating someone, I'm like making them responsible for something that is not their personal responsibility that is much bigger than them. And I'm also dehumanizing them and hurting them as a way to like feel better about it. On the right, this happens all the time. 
And like, I'm recently been reading um, Emma Dabiri's book, um, What White People Can Do Next. And okay. it's actually a really interesting book. Probably talk about it on another episode, but it's really cool and interesting and definitely not what this title suggests. <laughs> um, but she did that kind of on purpose. Yeah. Um, That's hilarious, by the way. Yeah. But basically, um, you know, one of the things she talks about that has definitely been talked about with many other authors is that like the invention of race was literally for this purpose. Like the invention of race was anti-solidarity and it was to make like poor working white people and people who are racialized and enslaved, it was to prevent them from ever developing any solidarity between them, right? And it was to encourage the white people to dehumanize the racialized people and then to scapegoat the racialized people and to blame them for problems instead of turning the other way and looking at the people who had money who were exploiting them, right? There's many people who have written about this, but she talks about it in the book, so that's why I'm thinking about it. And so we see this all the time on the right with like xenophobia, right? Where people are like, it's the immigrants, they're the problems. The reasons that we don't have job security is it's because of the immigrants, right? And so they dehumanize the immigrants. They imagine that the immigrants, you know, they cut off their empathy and their ability to realize that the immigrants are actually people just like them who are experiencing the same things that they're experiencing and want the same things that they want and who are also suffering under capitalism, right? So they dehumanize them and then they, they scapegoat them and say, it's not actually, um, you know, the capitalists who are totally controlling my life. It's the immigrants who are taking away my job, right? Right. Um, And so it's the process of dehumanization and scapegoating. And Adolf Reed has talked about, and I don't remember exactly where I heard him say this, but I'm sure he said it more than once, that basically, like what the nexus is doing he has said that the new anti-racism is now playing a similar role to what racism has played in the past. Right. Like anti-solidaristic. Exactly. And like what he means by that is that, you know, if we if we take the like the the racist scapegoating of like blaming racialized people um, for the problems that capitalism capitalism is creating and that scapegoating, if we take away that, but then we create a new scapegoating where we're like, okay, well, now the bad guys are, you know, in, in Nexus terms, we're just going to use some identitarian categories and blame those people for the problems and say that, you know, the problem is that there's too many white people in a position of leadership or there's too many men in a position of leadership. And so if we get rid of those guys or we make them give up their privileges, then things will be fine, right? And so in both of these cases, like the problem is, is that, everybody is dehumanizing and scapegoating each other and it's a perfect cover for capitalism because we cannot (laughs) (laughs) yeah right like we we cannot see that actually we are all fucking struggling under a system called capitalism and like yes we're not all struggling in the exact same ways and yes there are differences in the ways that capitalism affects us and yes there are other systems of oppression that people are facing but overall we're all pretty much fucked and like if we could work together we could um, actually have a lot more power to overcome capitalism. And, and this is something that like they pointed out on an episode of the Jacobin show that actually the process of working together and being in real relationships with each other is the very thing that is the antidote to dehumanization. Because once you are side by side 
in struggle with someone, it becomes a lot harder to scapegoat them and to turn them into a two-dimensional caricature. And it becomes a lot easier to reconnect with your empathy and to be like, oh yeah, this is just a person just like me who wants the things that I want and who is actually on my side. Like we are in this together, even if we are different from each other. Yeah, totally. So that was my tangent. Yeah, totally. Well, I think you're completely right. And yeah, it's true. Like just being around people and, and forming like relationships with them, like people who are different from you, like inoculates you against against bigotry, right? And like you might you might even be a person who like holds relatively like regressive views about like whatever identity group. Um, but if you like make friends with someone from that group, you know, and, and many people like do end up in like weird kind of relationships like that, right? On like, you know, it's like your buddy from work, right? Who happens to be like gay or or right. like black or whatever, you know? Um, and you're like, even if you're still sort of like, oh, well, that group of people, I don't know, but like my buddy, like Joe is like fine, you know, right. like he's cool. Um, that inoculates you against like really extreme forms of like, of, uh, of like ideological prejudice, basically, you know what I mean? Like, um, because then if you're in a context where like somebody gets up on a fucking soapbox and is like, well, you know what, like those fags like need to all like right. burn in hell or something, you're going to be like, hang the fuck on. You're talking about my buddy Joe, you know? Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. And it's not that much of a leap. Like, I think that that is a great place to start. And then it's not that much of a leap to actually get people to be like, oh, right this group of people is made up of all sorts of other people who also like Joe are specific human beings with feelings and they're not that different from you, you know? And like, that's the direction that obviously we need to go in on all sides is opposition to dehumanization and getting people to reconnect with their empathy and to see that every single person is a human being just like you and that we should be working together and building solidarity. Um, And so like kind of part of the reason that I just wanted to go on that tangent It's just that, like, I think so often there is such hostility towards even the slight suggestion that we should possibly talk to people on the right, you know? People are horrified by that. And even people who are, like, very on board with a lot of the stuff that we're saying or, like, they're starting to get on board with it, they would be still horrified by that. They're like, you have to draw the line somewhere and definitely draw the line at people who are, like, racist or people who hold views that are dehumanizing and they're on the right, you know? Mm-hmm. And I get it. Obviously, it's very upsetting when people are out here dehumanizing people. We don't want that. It's yeah. it's ethically reprehensible and it's wrong, you know? But like the answer, and it's like, this is complicated, but the answer to, you know, addressing that dehumanization that does go on on the right is not to just dehumanize the right. Of course. Because because, if, because we de- fuck- yeah. if we dehumanize and scapegoat the right, well, first of all, we aren't actually doing anything about the dehumanizing, scapegoating behavior that they're doing. We're actually mm-hmm. just cutting ourselves off from relationship with them. And relationship mm-hmm. is the number one thing that is going to break down that dehumanization. We're, we're, we're actually increasing the siloing that you're talking about. We're keeping ourselves away from each other so we can't actually find out that we are all actually human beings being exploited by capitalism. Yeah. Um, and then we're just, we're just doing more of the same, you know, and it's not useful. And I think a lot of people get really mad, um, you know, and think that I'm like making an equivalency that like being mad about the right is the same as racism or something. And I'm not saying that they have different histories and different contexts and so on and so forth. They're not the exact same thing, but they are actually both like a refusal to engage with the, the person be, behind the story, you know? Also just strategic, right? Like, like, okay. I think right-wing populism is dangerous. Like, I'm going to 
go straight out and say that. I think it very clearly it represents like a threat, you know. Um, and the main reason for that is that it's very easy for very fucked up politicians to take take up the role of the good elite and direct right wing populism like where they want it to go, you know. And like many sort of like militaristic or fascist or like nationalist movements around the world have taken that kind of um, path, right? Because it's part it's built into right wing populism that they they believe that there is a good elite, basically. Right. You know what I mean? as well as a bad elite <laughs> and they're just like waiting for like and that's why they're all into fucking donald trump even though he's like a a billionaire fucking like land developer like piece of shit with rich parents right um because donald trump they think sort of represents them in right. in the, the struggle against the bad elite right um so i'll go on and i i think that right-wing populism is a threat and you know should be opposed however that does not mean that individual people who are who are caught up in that thing um, should not be fucking proselytized to heavily. And and actually, like, I think that um, during the fucking Freedom Convoy shit, like, like socialists should have been out talking to all of those people, man. Like, in a certain way, many of those populists are, are more likely to be won over to a socialist perspective than most liberals are. Because mm-hmm. they understand that there's something very fucking wrong, you know? And they're willing to be like, we need to make huge changes. Like, you know, the, the changes that they think we have to make, like are the wrong ones. And their, their theories about why this is all happening is also incorrect, but like that can be, that can be corrected. Right. And actually their rage against like yes. um, a, a faction of the elite can very easily be, you know, they, it can be redirected um, into a rage against the ruling class because none of them exactly. are from the ruling class. Like all the people who are fucking, and there was a lot of shit like uh, on like, I saw on Instagram and stuff being like, oh, like those those people calling themselves truckers, actually a lot of them like own their trucks. So like they're not really workers or whatever. I'm like, okay, like capitalists don't spend all their time fucking driving around the country like no, in a giant truck. You know what I mean? They fucking, no, they, they sit in offices owning things. You know what I mean? Like the fact that you like operate your own like equipment doesn't make you like not a member of like the, the vast majority of us, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, so whatever, like these people, none of them are from the fucking ruling class and like they, at least not most of them, right? And And they can be, I think that they can be brought around and they can be talked to, man. And like, there's no fucking reason why socialists shouldn't be trying to infiltrate their silo and be in that silo with them and, and, and trying to like explain to them alternate explanations of why the world is the way that it is, because they lack that desperately. And like, I've been watching like on the, in the nexus on this side of things, I have been watching people go through a process of waking up from the nexus and realizing that they've been manipulated and that they've been spending all of their time getting mad at whoever their scapegoat of choice is, you know, usually, I don't know, a vegan baker in their local community um, or some other random person who is being canceled and held accountable. Um, And they, as they realize that they've been spending all their time and energy attacking these regular random people who in fact are just like them, they realize they're being manipulated and they are starting to turn their energy towards the capitalists, right? Yeah. I believe strongly that a similar process can easily happen with these right-wing populist people. Totally. And I think that if you show them that in fact or bigoted or transphobic ideas that you are having, that those beliefs represent you being manipulated. That exactly. and you exactly. are being your your justified anger at the state of affairs at, at the the conditions of your life and the and the way that you're being forced to live and the fact that it sucks okay because that anger is real and it is justified and it should be directed at the people who are doing this to you but instead these people have tricked you into thinking that some other people 
who are also in the same position as you are your enemy. Totally. And like when I was talking to Dave, I was like, yo, because he was talking about Antifa, right? And he was like, Antifa is like, you know, it's like a PSYOP, like controlled by George Soros and like the Democrats. And the Democrats use them to like burn down cities, uh, to terrify everyone, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I was like, man, I'm from Montreal. Like, I'm like a communist from Montreal. <laughs> everyone I know considers themselves to be Antifa. <laughs> like, you know, like we're all anti-fascists, you know? And, and I was just like, none of us are getting paid by fucking George Soros. Like, you know, this is like a common, a, a common refrain. Like people joke about it a lot in the Nexus, right? You know, but I'm like, yeah, like none of us are getting fucking paid, man. Like, it's like the reason why there's such a thing as Antifa is because everyone hates fascists. Like you hate fascists. Like you right. always talk about exactly. why fascists are bad. So like, it's not weird that Antifa exists. Like you, you shouldn't be so surprised that there are people who are willing to like engage in direct actions against what they perceive to be fascism because that's exactly what you've been doing. Exactly. You know what I mean? And he was sort of like, oh, fuck, like, that, like that's crazy. And he, it was really blowing his mind. And I, I honestly think that probably when that guy goes home, like I don't think I completely like change his mind or anything, but I think that when he goes home and he starts like talking to his buddies again from the Freedom Convoy, like he is probably going to be like, oh man, like actually it was weird. Like I talked to this guy who says that he was a socialist, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, and he hated Justin Trudeau and like, it was, it was like really weird. And like, you know, totally. you know, and I also like, I, I told him to like, look at Jacobin. Cause I was like a lot of stuff with Jacobin would probably vibe with this fucking guy, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so one more thing I wanted to say. So I was recently interviewed on this podcast called tangle okay um and it's a podcast i didn't really know what it was when i said yes to it but basically it's pretty cool it's a podcast that is like across the political spectrum so they interview people and they're sort of like non-committal one way or another they interview people across the political spectrum about various things but the the cool thing about that is it is it like an unusual where the silo is broken and where people are hearing from each other right yeah yeah. Um, and so I got interviewed and I was just like out here being like socialism, socialism, socialism. And I was like, you're not allowed to have lots of yachts, redistribute the yachts to the people, etc. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and I was talking about being queer and I was talking about, you know, they, them pronouns. And I was talking about the world that I'm in and like my critiques of social justice culture, but how I am like very definitely a socialist who opposes dehumanization in all forms, you know? And I got like a whole bunch of emails after this interview from people on the right. Um, and I don't know if these guys were populists or like what kind of positions they were in, but there were various people who were self-identifying as like conservative and on the right, you know? Right. And they emailed me being like, I thought everything that you said was like really, really interesting. And they were, they were really on board with a lot of what I was saying. And what they appreciated is that the way that I positioned myself was not condemning of them, um, but was actually about finding common ground and meeting people in our like common humanity, you know? And I had such an explicitly socialist message that I think it's like very interesting that so many people who identify as on the right were like very curious and interested in what I was saying, you know? Yeah, because they never fucking hear that message. <laughs> yeah. Where would they? Yeah. Right? It's, it's never represented in media, ever. Right. And and their interactions with the left are with a bunch of fucking like whining libs. Yeah, exactly. So, and, yeah. And so I don't know. I think it's really interesting. And I think that if we are serious about building, you know, mass solidarity and to create collective power that is strong enough to actually pose any kind of threat to capitalism, 
then we absolutely must be willing to start talking to people whose worldviews and ideas are quite different than ours. Yeah. Um, and to begin to build solidarity from a place of common ground as number one, human beings, and number two, people who are being vastly exploited under capitalism. Totally, man. If you want to build mass power uh, among working people, yeah. you have to talk to working people. Yeah, including, you know? and, including and they ones believe, who have conspiracy theories and stuff. And Yeah, exactly, because working people believe the entire gamut of, of political positions, man, you know, and like many of them are right-wing populists because that's kind of what is making sense of them right now. So, yeah. Um, I feel like that's probably good for, uh, <laughs> for today. It's been about two hours, I think. Okay, cool. Well, um thank you for i feel like i'm like interviewing you like it's like, <laughs> I, I kind of was interviewing you but, uh, yeah yeah um so thanks for coming on to fucking canceled and telling us about right-wing populism definitely um for the listeners just want to remind people about our patreon if you want to support us that is patreon.com slash fucking canceled you can get your fucking canceled merch at fucking canceled.bigcartel.com um we didn't really do announcements at the beginning but i don't feel like there's really anything too pressing going on right now no not really um but yeah thank you guys so much for your support of the podcast we hope you guys liked this episode and we will talk to you again soon thanks guys bye